When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast, free on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Hall from 670 The Score, along with Dan Weederer from the Chicago Tribune and a contributor to 670 The Score. We are dropping this podcast on Friday. The Bears play Monday night. We will have a pod for you next Tuesday morning. Thank you for listening. Download, subscribe, and keep on following the Bears through the season wherever it's headed. They are 2-4 and four with a mini buy, as they say. Dan, how's it going? Is that a Bears issue orange pullover there? Or is my camera <laughs> hey, a little bit look, distorted? Is that a, a collector's item? It should be, right? Yeah, this is this is in honor of those uh, bright orange helmets that they wore against the Commanders on Thursday night. I've got my... Uh, my, my bright orange half sip on to, to persevere through episode 21 of the podcast. You do mention the Bears, uh, David, coming off the mini buy. Probably the most notable thing as we sit here on Thursday afternoon recording this is that the injury report is clean. I can't remember a time in October where I saw an injury report without a single player listed. And so obviously the Bears used that, that extra stretch here to get a little bit uh, healthy physically. And now we will test their, uh, their mental health as, as we go forward as well. That means Eberflus not practicing them hard enough, my friend. Well, they went back into pads on, on Thursday afternoon, David. So Flus is still bringing the hits principle at uh, all its glory. Uh, and so, look, like we'll have to see if five, six bodies wind up on the injury report on Friday afternoon after a one hard practice. But I think they should be in good shape. And now they've got to, you know, again, we talk about meeting the moments. So they got to try to meet a moment on Monday night against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Real quick, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this week, the preparation and looking ahead at the game with our predictions and a breakdown, um, you had the, uh, uh, I guess you were uh, assigned the assignment of sitting in on the afternoon show. I was filling in for the Parkinson Spiegel show. We did it together on Wednesday afternoon. Did you survive that experience and how how was the day after the, uh, the afternoon experience? So, so you said assignment, I would say privilege and honor to sit in that chair in the afternoon on 670 The Score. Kind of a, a little bit of a dream there to, to do that in that st- uh, spot there. Obviously you and I have done it early in the morning as well, so it's always fun being down there. What I thought was 
was notable for us to bring up as we we spoke a lot of doom and gloom in the afternoon on Wednesday about the Chicago Bulls and uh, obviously missing Zach Levine. And then they surprised everyone by going out and gutting it out and getting a win in Miami uh, on opening night, which was a, a really nice uh, performance for a team that had some things tested uh, on opening night. I don't think my my overall feelings change because I think uh, you're probably in agreement with me that the, the worry about Zach Levine's knee is still very real. Uh, but boy, uh, for, for what we were forecasting, it shows uh, that you better be careful what you say on the air because people will hold you to it. He was ruled out of Friday night's game already. They won the game. <laughs> Worrisome. The, the, their victory over the Heat in the opener prevented Thursday from being a full-fledged crisis in Chicago. So it kind of just delayed the agony, if you will. I hope he's fine. I hope the Bulls have a fun season. And I think people hope that we were wrong. We're going to be as wrong about the Bears as we were about the Bulls because we thought they would be in trouble without Zach Levine. They come through. Also have to mention that I know you as a Cub fan enjoyed <laughs> our conversation with Joe Madden. That was a fun interview. That's not just as a Cubs fan. That's as a as a uh, interviewer, right? Like you know, over your time covering Joe with the Cubs, that they're engaged. That every time you speak with them, they're 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 selling. Uh, doesn't matter that you're engaged in a conversation that that's really interesting. And I thought it was just very very. Uh, Interesting, right? And thought-provoking to hear Joe talk about some of his theories on where baseball is headed, on, on some of his theories on how he would like to kind of hit the brakes and turn the, the steering wheel and get it pointed in a new direction. And so, yeah, it was really cool to, to have that opportunity on Thursday to allow him to plug his book, but also to, to gauge his interest on where, where his own personal growth and uh, personal career is headed. Joe's always been open and he's always been compelling. But I think that getting fired and, and maybe not managing this summer has – he sounds somewhat liberated. He has no fear. He's not afraid to call out well, the old guard in baseball, or maybe it's that's that's put the wrong way. The new guard, the new wave, the analytics crowd, if you will. And I think that's interesting. He's going to have a difficult time getting hired again if he continues to be as honest and candid as he was with us, as he has been on his yeah. tour. But I say more, more of it uh, is, is better because Joe Madden is a – pretty bright guy and he's always fun to talk to so two things listen like i appreciate a guy who can be picky right and search for the exact right fit for him going forward and joe certainly seems uh eager to sit still until he knows that there's an opportunity there that will allow him to do the job the way he wants to do the job i also thought it was interesting to hear him talk about the bike rides in arizona during the pandemic with a tape recorder in his pocket and a, and a microphone, you know, attached to his, the lapel of his, of his shirt and, and just going around and talking to himself, riding a bike and using that as the, as the seeds to, to kind of get the, the whole book and everything started. He was the manager of the Cubs for five seasons. I can see why he might be compelled to talk about himself, talk to himself <laughs> after uh, after that experience. Well, but, uh, one other thing, David, he did say this about baseball managing. He said that uh, wisdom and experience is no longer required. And as a guy who coached nine-year-old travel ball and they allowed me to do it, I can tell you that they do not require wisdom or experience to make that jump, at least at that level. They're not prerequisites. Nope. Okay, <laughs> enough, uh, enough of that stuff. Let's get into football with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. All right, Dan, so you mentioned the big news, I think, which is interesting. Week seven uh, for the Bears, Monday night football. They get a little extra time to recover. Injury list is clean. That's a rarity in the NFL. So we heard from Matt Eberflus. We heard from Justin Fields. We heard about a meeting they had which isn't that uh, – it's not out of the ordinary. Right. Quarterbacks and head coaches meet all the time. 
But I think it was interesting when Matt Eberflus was asked to evaluate Justin Fields at this stage of the season, he looked at it more collectively than individually. I think they're going to do that all they can in order to protect or insulate Justin Fields from any criticism and, and continue to try to put him, despite what the outside people think, despite what the roster looks like, try to put Justin Fields in the best possible position to succeed physically on the field and also you know, that, that goes in the, in the public sphere. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was a little bit bothered that when Matt Eberflus was just pressed for sort of a specific and direct evaluation of his starting quarterback, that he was extremely reluctant to do it. It's unusual, in my opinion, that the head coach would be so reluctant to offer any sort of review of his starting quarterback. There's a bigger topic that we have to get into, which is that you know behind the scenes meeting that they had trying to get Justin in the proper headspace to approach the the next stretch here which is the start of an 11 game finishing stretch to the season but I, I don't know how you felt about that about Matt's overall reluctance to to even give you anything a shred of insight into how he's evaluating his, his QB1 well I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to be inconsistent here but but I have to say this I think in the context of this larger discussion I understand why he would take that approach and i think it's partly our fault if you will and i think fault is probably too strong i don't think there's a lot of responsible discussion about justin fields's progress right. in chicago and i think that to 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 believe that these coaches don't notice that and that these players don't uh, understand or, or right. respond to that is naive so what matt eberflus is doing what matt getsy did last month earlier this month, whenever that was, I think their, their, try, their attempt to put a rosy uh, outlook or, or paint a rosier picture than might be, reality might uh, suggest is because they don't trust the people talking about the quarterback position and evaluating the progress. So if they say the slightest thing that could be interpreted or, or perceived as criticism, they understand how that would be amplified in the world of social media and in the world of, you know, media discussion. So I get that they are trying to be consistent in creating this positive uh, surroundings and to insulate them with praise more than anything else. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. And, and I would just say that the Take the North podcast is so responsible that we deserve the answers, even if they just want to give it to us exclusively. Just send send us a, a, a PDF of your evaluation of Justin Fields and we'll be responsible in framing the discussion the way it needs to be framed. Right. Like, I think we've and that, that. that's that's why I even hesitate to like go to, to say that, because I, I look I, I'm on the air every day, 530 to 10 o'clock on the Mullen Haw show. And, and I will have my moments. I'm not saying that. And we have our moments where you, you do kind of get a little carried away and you're pointing a finger here or there. You have a, a bit of information and you're making it into a bigger deal. I get that. That's part of that's part of being in a passionate sports market. But if I were on the other side of this and if I were the head coach of the Chicago Bears and I were asked to evaluate uh, and I was given this, you know, this inside pitch I would get out of the way you know and I I wouldn't even I I, I would not even touch it because I think that it it would have been something that no matter what he said in terms of being critical in terms of being maybe honest and candid it's not his personality and I could see him based on who he is saying not worth it 
What I do think is notable, David, is was the demeanor of Justin Fields after Thursday night's game where he came to his postgame press conference um, looking so down, right? And not only looking so down, but expressing some sentiments about about this this concept of being told that they're close or that he's close and that, that he's tired of being told they're close when they're not. And you and I, I think, are in very, very firm agreement that – the Chicago Bears aren't close. They're not close to being a meaningful contender in this football league. Justin Fields isn't close to being an undeniable long-term answer for the Bears at the at the starting quarterback position. And so my question is, do they have the stamina? Do they have the willpower? Do they have the collective sort of unity and resolve to continue down a journey that isn't anywhere close, right? There's a long way to go for them to reach either of those mentioned. All right, this is where I would say that I understand where Matt Eberflus is coming from. I, I think that after hearing what Justin Fields had to say after the game, he doesn't want to hear that they're close. Nobody's telling him that except for the head coach or the assistants or the offensive coordinator or whoever. And so maybe if I'm the head coach and I see the frustration building in my quarterback and I look at specifically what he's saying, I do want to clarify. I want to have a meeting that makes it clear that, okay, Hey, you talking about me? <laughs> I mean, who else is telling you that you're close if if in fact that you know you're you're rejecting that premise, then we need to have a conversation because that's what I believe, that's what I see and that's the message I want sent. Not only do I want that message sent publicly, I want that message to permeate throughout the locker room because I'm a new head coach. This is my program and we're trying to create a culture here. And the culture of uh, and the identity is of one of resilience and resolve. And you don't get that by believing any other thing except for you're making progress every week. Now, you can within that within that framework, you can hold people accountable and you can still coach tough. But I do think that you want to have the overriding message that we are making progress. Even if we lose 12 to 7, even if we drop a punt, even if we make mistakes, we're getting closer because we believe we're headed in the right direction. Because you know what? You can't walk into Hallis Hall as a, as a player, as a coach, as an employee, and have any other mindset, any other mindset. So I get why if I'm at Eberflus, I would want to have a word with my quarterback. Well, and this is another example of Justin being young and inexperienced. And we've talked about the responsibilities of that QB1 role, right? There is a lot that comes with this, right? And, and the foremost responsibility is to make plays on game nights that lead to victories. But the other part is to be a, a leader. You're a team captain and you're uh, a, a hub of energy. You're the source that guys go to to fuel. And if you're projecting an image of, oh, I'm exhausted and I'm tired of being told this and I just don't know if right. I'm – you know, it, it, it rubs off on the group, right? And I think part of Matt Eberflus's message was, man, like you got to understand when you convey those messages to teammates privately, when you convey those messages to uh, the media and the fans publicly, it sets a tone. Like you are the tone setter here. And I, I know losing sucks and I know you hate losing and you've never lost this way in your life, but you've got you've to bring a presence every day to your point that, that lets other people around you know, we're rolling, right? And and we're getting right back to this and it's next play and it's next game and it's next practice and let, let's go because we don't have time to waste because of all the ground we've got to make up. And I also think that you have to be careful that it's not just Justin Fields, which is I think what your exchange with Jalen Johnson was interesting and what he had to say also resonates because he's a leader on that defense. He's a young player who's going to be part of the solution and he's not part of the problem. So I'll let you take it from there because I think his response was also telling. 
Yeah, so let's set that up a little bit because look, like this is a a period that I think we think is a pivotal point in the bear season. It's a pivotal point in the the Matt Eberflus culture building process, right? And it's about how do you keep a team's concentration, how do you keep their attention when the natural uh, human instinct is to let some of your concentration and focus and investment recede. Because you go ah ah, you know, and and you start to get frustrated, and that builds up. Just for some context. Last year, 2021, the Bears went 46 days between victories at one point. The year before that, 2020, they went 49 days between victories at one point. 2019, the Bears' glorious 100th season, the Bears went 42 days between victories at one point. And so this is now a trend, David, on your your Bears' growth curve where they have gone three consecutive seasons of at least 40 days between victories. Right now, they will go into New England on Monday night and be at least 29 days removed from their victory over the Texans. And if they lose that, then we go into, you know, 35 days the next week against the Cowboys. And beyond that, we go and we go and we go. And so you feel the weight of that, right? Each one of those losses brings more weight and more weight and more weight that you're trying to shed. So what I asked Justin uh, Jalen Johnson of on, on Tuesday afternoon was how does a team guard against that mental fatigue? How do they go about sort of getting reset and reloaded at a time when when the natural instinct is to be like, ah, this is getting really frustrating? Here was his response. I mean, hopefully there's no fatigue when we're losing. I, mean, I feel like everybody should have, if anything, more energy to stop to stop the bleeding. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like where we're at right now, um, just trying to, trying to stop the bleeding, trying to figure it out. And I mean, of course, we've all heard that we're moving in the right direction, but we had to find a way to really stop the bleeding. And I feel like that just starts with each individual person. Um, so, I mean, I feel like there, there shouldn't be a, short of, a shortage of energy. Um, I feel like, if anything, we need to have more energy. We need to find a way to, to spark this team, spark, um, just find a way to win. I feel like at the end of the day, that's what it's about right now. So, David, I'm looking for guys like that, right? I'm looking for guys who are saying, let's get a spark going. I'm looking for guys who are, are, are ready to, to light the match and say, follow me. The Bears need to be looking for those guys. They need to identify six to eight to ten of them to really get this thing rolling. And so I was, I was refreshed to hear Jalen's approach to that, uh, and now it's all about applying that approach. I'm looking with someone with a tourniquet. I mean, stop the bleeding. <laughs> this is a really a difficult thing. Dan – we talked uh, on the afternoon show and, and, and on the morning show as well. The Bears are three games into what could be a six-game losing streak, and that would be 49 days between victories again this year. So I think that his intentions are good, and the mindset is exactly what you want to be and have to take. Um, but, boy, I, I would challenge the premise just generally speaking. I think it's easier to have – energy and enthusiasm and to approach your job and attack things daily when you're having success. It's, yeah. Then, you know, what a great problem it would have to, would have at Hallis Hall. How do you handle complacency? You know, that's a question that's seldom <laughs> asked in the last decade at Hallis Hall because they haven't been able to do that because they always find themselves stuck in these long protracted losing streaks, building character and, and establishing resolve right now. The next game on the schedule that looks winnable, Detroit Lions, November 13th. That would be the 49th day. They have had one day, I think, this season that they felt celebratory, and that was right after they beat the 49ers in the opener. Slip and slide, baby. That was it. And then they even the Texans' victory, if you remember the day after, it felt like a loss to a lot of people because Fields didn't play that well. 
And they needed a walk-off field goal to beat one of the worst teams in the NFL at home, right? Yeah, (laughs) and so I I think that it's been a a slog of a start for the Matt Eberflus era. There have been some uh, consistent points. There have been some high points, but there have been a lot of lows, and it's going to be a test of their fortitude to get through them. There's headspace issues here, right? And I think you'd agree with that, that, that it's now up to Matt and the leaders on this football team to get this team back into the proper headspace. And it's not easy to do. I did want to bring this up because the short week last week prevented us from really diving into this. But you, uh, your wife is a yoga instructor. My wife is a yoga instructor. Justin Fields found the, the power of breath. And we never really talked about <laughs> what that storyline became and the mushrooming for a couple days, this idea that, that the power of yoga and the power of yoga breath allowed Justin to have this heroic half in Minnesota that was going to lead him to a springboard of victory. And now uh, it's just, I think it ties into this conversation about headspace. And I was just wanting to get some of your take on that. Well, to be perfectly honest, you're right. I mean, I have a lot of respect for yoga and, and how it does. It's a lifestyle, frankly. And, and I think that what I uh, predicted would happen, happened. Unfortunately, he, he voiced it. Um, he talked about it. It was exaggerated how much he, and then it was, it was almost mocked when they showed him on the sidelines, breathing and trying to do the things that a young athlete talked about, helped him and made him better and helped him, you know, achieve success and all the things that really, frankly, you want a young guy to do. I mean, this is, there's nothing wrong with it. And it was mocked by a lot of people in a lot of different circles, whether social media or mainstream. And I think that to me was predictable and unfortunate. Um, I do think that we have here the bigger picture, uh, a quarterback who is struggling with how to, how to, how to manage his anxiety. I right. think you even heard it on Wednesday or Thursday at Howells Hall again, yep. just about, well, geez, coaches, when this happens to me next time, I want you to tell me when the game's getting too fast, if you're noticing that, you know what? You never will hear him talk about that when he's in the league for five to seven to 10 years, if he's able to be in the league for five to seven to 10 years. These are the signs and these are the telltale signs of a young quarterback who is not as confident as he appears and not as certain as he seems or should be or needs to be. So it all starts with the deep breathing, deep breathing and namaste. And we could all do downward facing dog until we pull a hamstring. But, you know, <laughs> I think it goes beyond that because I think it speaks to his overall issues and struggling to manage his anxiety. Well, I appreciate you bringing up that exchange from from Thursday afternoon because we were talking a lot about Justin's pocket presence. And in his own words, the words he used on Thursday was antsy, right? And that he is occasionally antsy in the pocket because he doesn't trust what is going to come on a specific play because of what has happened on previous plays. And when that jitteriness and that, by his own word, antsy feeling creeps in it is a slippery slope for a quarterback it's a particularly slippery slope for a young quarterback who has very little uh, proven success to fall back on and so this is a danger zone right and this is why i bring up the yoga and it's why i bring up the headspace because this is all about justin getting himself in a place where he can trust where he can be calm where he can be less antsy where he can understand that regardless of how many times i've I've had a scramble out of this pocket regardless of how many times i've been hit i've got to figure out a way to stay in here and be calm and composed and slide to my right or climb forward or do whatever it takes to let this play work the way it's supposed to work. And if you're not capable of getting there, well, now steps B, C, D, E, F, G, go through the rest of the alphabet aren't even possible in your passing game. And that's a big, big problem for this Bears offense that that is worth keeping an eye on. 
Yeah, and that shows you how far he has to go before we get to the point where we're talking about, you know, completing passes downfield, moving the chains. I mean, this is such a this is such a, a long process. And I thought we might be further along six games into it uh, than we are. Doesn't mean he can't get to the end. It doesn't mean they have to draw a conclusion. It just means that there's still a long way to go when it comes to evaluating Justin Fields and in terms of he get him getting to the place where he wants to be. And he's holding himself to that standard so we should be just as tough on him no question yeah so let's see where it goes right i mean you can't ask for a better measuring stick than prime time monday night football foxborough bill belichick on the other sideline trying to fluster you let's see let's see what you got kid hey everyone this is brett boone would you know it i've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year tune in as i sit down with my friends some of the biggest names in sports media entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations as you know baseball's been my life it's been in the family for a long time but it's a lot more than that here it's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. All right, and let's get into the numbers about this matchup. Hey, Dan, every week in the Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com, or if you still subscribe and get the print edition, get it out and put it on your coffee table. People do still subscribe. <laughs> um, you do a numbers breakdown, and you've got three or so that we want to look at as they pertain to Bears, Patriots, on Monday night. I'll let you start with the first one, and then we'll make yeah. predictions and bring in studs. Let's start. With 324, which is the number of victories that Bill Belichick has in his coaching career. That's regular season and postseason combined. That's an important distinction to make as we look at some of these all-time leaders lists. That puts him in a tie for second all-time with the legendary, the venerable George Hallis. Obviously, Belichick has a, a opportunity in a storybook fashion to pass Hallis on Monday night with his 325th victory. The all-time leader is Don Shula, obviously. He's got uh, Belichick's got a season and a half or more to go to catch Don Shula, but that's an interesting one, David, don't you think? Yeah, I do. The, the, the football gods are winking. This is a, a, an opportunity. You could not have planned it better for the NFL and Monday Night Football, frankly, because all the producers at ESPN have all this time now to put the package together, to put the footage of George Hallis, Papa Bear, and Bill Belichick, and all the things that create the symmetry on Monday Night Football, it's likely that Bill Belichick with a victory over the Bears, uh, a team, these two franchises, you know, the, the most significant victory in Bears history came against the Patriots. And now the most significant victory, frankly, uh, you could argue the one that makes him you know, better than Papa Bear. I guess he still has Shula to, to, to catch, but comes against the Bears in Foxborough. So it's great uh, football theater. All right. My second number is 2000. That is the year of the Bears' last victory over the New England Patriots. That's a oh long way back gosh. now. I was a 23-year-old kid back at that time, David, wide-eyed and, uh, and not sure what the world held for me. And here I am, gray, uh, worn down, trying to find my way again and still waiting for the Bears to beat the Patriots again. 2000 was a game in which James Allen – 
Running back James Allen had two touchdowns in the game, and the Bears uh, upended Drew Bledsoe and company at the old Soldier Field. The new Soldier Field wasn't even built yet. So this tells you how long it's been. In the time since, they've played five times. The Patriots have won all five. Average score, 35 to 21. Wow. Back in 2000, you, if you were wearing a loud orange pullover, it was for the <laughs> Illini, not because it matched the Bears' helmets at the time. Um, that was a long time ago, even before the 2006 matchup where Tom Brady juked Brian Urlacher. I was there. Right. Uh, even before the 2014 debacle where Lamar Houston tore his ACL celebrating a sack and, and Brandon Marshall told me I was whack, bro. <laughs> <laughs> in the locker room, I was there. And even as uh, there have been a lot of bad memories with this series. In Don't forget four years ago at Soldier Field with uh, with Kevin White catching a Hail Mary at the one-yard line that could have potentially tied the game, uh, one of the Bears' few losses in that campaign. Oh, my gosh. Foxy was still the coach there, right? No, wait, no, that, that was, was, that, that that was, was Nagy's Matt first Nagy. year. Okay. Yeah. That was Matt Nagy. I think that I'm starting to merge those bad memories. But, yeah, there have been a lot of bad when it comes to Bears Patriots, I think they played in the snow at Soldier Field at one point, too. Another blowout. Another blowout, but another fun game. So maybe this time we'll be – no, I don't think it will be. All right, what's the next number? It doesn't feel that way. All right, so the other number that I have for you is 16.3, okay? And this is because we have reached a point where we can measure Justin Fields' starts in his career. 16.3 is the average number of points scored by the Bears in those 16 starts. Not good. The Bears have topped 23 points just three times with Justin Fields as their starter. They've been held below 10 points four times, obviously including last week's 12-7 home loss to the Washington Commanders. That number's got to go up, 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 up if we're ever going to change this discussion about the quarterback position. Justin Fields is going to be challenged on Monday night more than he has schematically, I think, since he's been a starting NFL quarterback. That may sound like a an exaggeration. That may sound like uh, a negative comment, but I think it's just the truth. The Belichicks, Steve and Bill, are going to make <laughs> him play quarterback. They're going to stack the box. They're going to confuse the heck of, out of him, not only on third down, but on first and second. And they're going to play man coverage when they think he's playing zone and play zone when they think he's playing man. They're going to disguise everything. They're a master of disguises. You watch their secondary play. And I think that this challenge not only will be great for the offensive line, but for the quarterback to decipher and interpret. And I don't know, Dan, in fairness, if most young quarterbacks will be up to the challenge, but I don't know if Justin Fields will be. Psychological warfare. I mean, you bring it up, right? I mean, that's what it's going to be. In addition to trying to play at the highest level, you got to deal with a lot of things mentally and you're going to be confused. And sometimes you may be confusing yourself because you're worried about being confused at what they're going to send your way. Uh, The Bears are going to have to, to figure out a way to control Matthew Judon. They're going to have to figure out a way to control Dietrich Wise. Justin's going to have to be aware of where Jonathan Jones, the talented defensive back, is in the Patriots secondary. You're going to get a lot of man coverage looks. And so if you can find some ways to create comfort with that, no, with that knowledge, right, and that tell at times, go for it. But boy, it sure seems like an uphill climb, uh, which maybe leads us to our depressing predictions for the week, right? We got to bring in studs. Right, let's make our predictions. Let's bring in uh, Adam Stadzinski, ace producer. You can start with your predictions, Adam. We're looking for a glimmer of hope, a sliver of optimism. Can you supply any, Mister Grabowski? <laughs> no, I can't. Sorry. Oh, I, man. Uh, not this week. And I just – and for basically all the reasons you guys have been saying, I mean, Bill Belichick just eats young quarterbacks alive. He And so 
I just don't see the Bears winning this game. I think the, the prediction I sent into 670thescore.com was 22 to 17. That 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 17th point probably comes late in the fourth quarter. And it and I didn't even realize how bad it's been for the Bears against the Patriots in my lifetime. And and you guys yeah. just went over all those numbers. But it, it's it's been sad. Even when the Bears have been good, they still lose to Bill Belichick. So I don't see them getting a getting a win on Monday night. Hopefully they keep it close. Uh, I, and like you guys said, like the the man coverage looks they're gonna get that might lead to some to 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 some shot plays between Justin Fields and, and Darnell Mooney. But I just I can't find a way to get them to 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 win this one. So yeah, something to the effect of Patriots twenty two Bears seventeen. And you know it. The the only the only positive I, I'll give you a positive. The P- Patriots also have a young quarterback, so if they can force him into two of them, mistake, <laughs> two of them, yeah. And so if if the Bears can force one of those young quarterbacks, whoever it's going to be, into making a mistake or two, that's their path to victory. It's the similar same way that they the, the path to victory against the 49ers. force the quarterbacks to make mistakes and and feast on them. But I just Bill Belichick's too good with with his scheming. I just can't see it. Dan, what do you see? I see 23 to 13. I see Troy Aikman and Joe Buck being a little bit disgusted with what they see from the Bears offense. I see them telling us about it late in that game and saying, boy, you know, Joe, I think this team's got a lot of work to do if they're going to get back on the radar where everybody wants to see them. Uh, and so that's that's where I think this one's headed. I, I, I've seen nothing from this offense in recent weeks to believe that that they're going to be able to, to meet the moment Monday night once again. And so there it is, 23-13, New England. I see Joe Buck wishing that he were doing the league championship series uh, on Fox and doing baseball rather than Monday night football. Uh, I see the Patriots dominating in ways that are predictable. They're going to overwhelm the Bears offensive line. They're going to collapse the pocket and the Bears best offensive play will be. All right, guys, we're going to go throw a deep pass here. Once the packet collapses, I'm going to tuck the ball and I'm going to go gain 10 yards. Justin Fields is going to run for his life, unfortunately. Um, I see Patriots 27, Bears 17. And the only reason it won't be more is because I think the Patriots may try to play Mac Jones. And I actually think that will be a good thing for the Bears defense because a a young quarterback on a on a high ankle sprain, who's trying to get work his way back into it. This will this will serve as maybe Mac Jones's second preseason, and maybe they won't be as effective. But I think Patriots twenty seven, Bears seventeen. All right, let's get into our opposing viewpoint with the Bill Belichick segment. We have to devote an entire segment to this Dan because of the uh, just exquisite display of knowledge and recall and football rain man uh, Bill Belichick turned into when he was talking about and reciting all the facts and the strengths of the Bears depth chart a team that is two and four that he made sound like they were six and oh and I'll let you take it from there because Bill Belichick was this is what he does for every opponent this is what he has has done every time he's played the Bears and this is what makes him you know the greatest NFL head coach probably ever 40 minutes to Wapner, uh, 40 minutes to Wapner, 293 <laughs> toothpicks, 293 toothpicks. No, it's, it's a good point. <laughs> it's a good point, David. And, and and look, like, you know, I go back four years, the last time the Bears played the Patriots, and, and we got one of these full comprehensive scouting reports. And, and uh, we had Rich Campbell on the show the other day. It became a running bit for us to talk about 
Trubisky to Gabriel because the Bears had played the Dolphins prior to that. The last time they played the Patriots and Trubisky hit Gabriel for two games, 47 yards and 54 yards. I made sure to look up the exact yardage and Bill Belichick made it seem like those two completions were the greatest completions in the history of the NFL. Yeah. That, you know, you don't see a lot of guys that are able to make that throw that Trubisky made Gabriel all world catch. Unbelievable. We're going to have our hands full. So he comes back this week and he starts out his Wednesday afternoon zoom conference with Patriots reporters with a, I think it got up to eight minutes uh, opening opening statement, just breaking down the bears. We're not going to play you all eight minutes, but studs is going to give us a sampling of, of a minute and a half, two minutes of Bill Belichick breaking down the bears. Had a chance here to spend some time uh, looking at the bears. This is um, a pretty impressive group and, and uh, really a young team that you can see getting better um, all the time. Uh, you know, coach, uh, has done a really good job here with, you know, installing his system and I think adapting and uh, to the personnel that, that they have there and obviously getting a lot of young players involved. It's one of the youngest teams in the league. Um, you know, offensively, I Fields is a, you know, is a major, major threat every time he touches the ball, a very athletic kid. You know, Mooney is, is a really an outstanding receiver. He's been, had a ton of production and, you know, I can see why he's very, very good at everything, plays multiple positions um, in the slot a lot, but they, they'll move him around, and, and he's had a ton of production. And then, um, you know, of course, the backs, uh, Herbert Montgomery, are are very good. Um, you know, this running game is, is right there with Cleveland. I mean, they, they literally have about the same exact amount of yardage. I think Herbert's leading the league in yards per carry. Uh, they're hard, very hard to tackle, and... Um, you know, they do a real, real good job with their, their running game uh, and the play action game as well. Um, a lot of explosive plays lead the league in yards per pass attempt. Um, they've hit some big plays. Some of those are catch and run plays. And then when you add on field scrambles, uh, which are, they might count as running plays in the stats, but they're actually passing plays in terms of having to defend them. Um, they're, they're really a lot of explosive plays there that, that are problems. So, um. <laughs> okay for those of us those that's, of you, that's a small us, fraction yeah that was that was a minute and a half into an eight minute answer and for everyone who has hung in there with us thank you for everyone else wake up he's done talking well that was hypnotic <laughs> that was hypnotic the trance that he put us in there that's, i mean it truly is and he i mean he ended up naming like five special teams guys for the bears which you're not going to get on most weeks uh you know dane crookshank one of them Trent gill the punter uh cairo santos he, he kicks it real straight it's great to see him uh but so there was more from bill once he got into the q a portion of things david that i thought was notable and one of those things is what we were talking about earlier and studs mentioned obviously that the patriots have two young quarterbacks uh mac jones and bailey's happy is a thing this week in new England. And, and the, you know, the, the sentiment in league circles is that when Mac Jones is fully healthy, he's back in the, the driver's seat and nobody turns around and looks back. Uh, but he's still dealing with a high ankle sprain and he was limited in Thursday's practice. And they're trying to figure out where he is. And they're, they're playing the chess match that they always are going to play publicly with this type of thing. Uh, your thoughts on that before we get to bill answering a couple questions on his quarterback situation. Well, I think they're playing games because, Zappy met the media, but there was a report that Mac Jones will be available. Uh, I'm of the camp where if Mac Jones is injured, 
I would give him another week to rest. You're playing the Bears, and you got a hot young quarterback in Zappy. You didn't anticipate this. I'm not saying this is Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe 2.0, but there is something to be said in the NFL for a quarterback who has more than 300 yards passing and he's 2-0 as a starter. Things are going pretty well. And this kid is a revelation. I would ride it as far as I can. If Mac Jones is healthy enough to play, he could still back up and come in if Bailey Zappi uh, struggles. I almost think it's to the Bears' advantage if they start Mac Jones, who might be compromised health-wise. But Bill Belichick wasn't going to reveal anything when he was asked about his quarterback situation at the Patriots media session. Curious about the process in a week like this where, you know, obviously Mac was questionable last week. There's some uncertainty maybe on whether or not he'll be available this week. But as a coaching staff, do you have to get two different plans ready? Maybe, you know, as that quarterback situation is still unfolding here. Um, well, I wouldn't say two different plans, no. Um, but, again, we'll we'll get ready for the Bears and – and um, they're, they're, again, there are always players in, in a situation where there's some uncertainty about their availability. That's, that's the way it is every single week. So depending on who those players are, what the plays are, what we're talking about, it, they're all kind of a little bit different. Uh, but we'll manage them the best we can. So is there, there doesn't have to be a lot of tweaking, whether it's Bailey or Mac at that position you know, you can kind of come up with one plan and, and feel like it's it's good for both. Yeah, well, I didn't say that. I just said every situation is different, and, and they are. So we'll evaluate each one based on the individual circumstances and and do the best we can with it. David, wow. we, were, we were in Foxborough in 2017, I believe it was, for crossover practices in the preseason, which gave us a, a, a full week to kind of sit in these Bill Belichick media back and forth. And the torture of having to cover that every single week for 20 plus years. I can't imagine how some of these people out in Boston and New England do that because it's just, I mean, it, first of all, you got to sit through an eight minute dissertation about the opponent who's two and four and you probably don't care much about them. And then you've got to, and then you've got to have these back and forths where you can't really get anywhere. That one just amused me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really say that. I mean, you know, so we'll see. On the other hand, Dan, it's the price of watching good football. And right. it, Maybe. it's the price of being around an organization that you know is going to be headed somewhere, typically usually in the right direction. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of, you know, misdirection intentional, uh, intentionally by the head coach. But you also would have a sense that you're chronicling history to some degree. And I think that would be kind of cool. And boy, it would yeah. be like – and I would compare it to being around the Cubs in 2016, being around the Blackhawks between 2010 and 2015. There were challenges along the way. I don't have a Bears example, sorry. Um, the White Sox in 2005, there were challenges along the way. But along the way, you had a sense that you were going to be you know, writing about, talking about, being around something that was 
exemplary, something that was historic. And I think that's the feeling these guys have must have. They get fed up. Yeah. And I know you're right. In, the, in that media room, there are probably people who are burnt out and listening to Bill Belichick and can't stand him for whatever yeah. reason. But still, it's amusing from the outside. Listen, I don't have the number in front of me. I had this at one point, but there's a, a, a total of playoff victories that the Patriots and Belichick have had since the Bears last won a playoff game. And it'll blow your mind because you, to, in order to match that playoff victory total with the Bears, you have to like go back to the, the 60s. And uh, it, it, it's just absurd. So to your point, there is a give and take, right? Like you get to cover postseason football pretty much every year and you get to, to, to go to Super Bowls and do some fun things. One other thing on the Belichick point here uh, before we uh, skip out of skip out of Bill's monotone and, and move on to something else. Uh, the Patriots obviously were in the market for a quarterback in 2021 and we don't know how they stacked the top five on their board. We know they got the fifth one out of the uh, first round in, in 2021. And we know that they took Mac Jones four picks after the bears jumped up and traded up to take Justin Fields at number 11. And so Bill Belichick was asked, on Wednesday by a reporter what he recalled about scouting Justin Fields during the pre-draft process in 2021. And here's his answer to that. I think a lot of what you, what you see from him in the NFL, um, again, a very athletic, uh, kid. He's, uh, gets out of a lot of trouble, uh, with his athleticism, his speed, his size balance. Uh, he runs well. Um, you know, I think he, he can see the field. Uh, again, he's, they lead a league in yards per pass attempt. So uh, when they throw it, there are a lot of downfield plays. He's accurate. Uh, he can throw on the run. He can throw in the pocket. Uh, and, and he sees down the field as well as, you know, at other areas in the intermediate and, and check downs and, you know, screens and things like that, which they're very good at, especially with, you know, with the two outstanding backs that they have. So um, like any quarterback, it's coming into the NFL, it's a big big change from uh, the system that they ran in college and new coverages and uh, different, you know, different type plays and so forth and so on. But you can see him getting better every week uh, and, and making plays consistently in game after game, uh, throwing the ball, running the ball, throwing on the run. Um, you know, he, he has quite a few decision-making plays, whether those are RPOs or uh, line of scrimmage checks based on the, the defensive uh, deployment and so forth. So, um, you know, I think he's, you know, he's a very talented player that that's getting better all the time. But honestly, like a lot of players on that team are. Very interesting uh, memory. Very interesting to hear Belichick break down Justin Fields. I, I can't help but wonder this question. And I think it's when you play teams that, you know, have guys and players in your same situations, the ones that you're covering, you have to like look at it. Have you considered what the Bears might look like if they had moved up in the draft or if they had stayed pat or whatever, if they had moved up in the draft and the quarterback they took as a fourth quarterback in that first round was Mac Jones and not Justin Fields? How different might this regime look? Would it be the same coaching staff that drafted the quarterback? Would they have had success sooner with Mac Jones because much different style of a quarterback, not saying that he would. I need to think about that, but I always do wonder when you hear how close these guys were in the draft and how much they evaluated the Patriots like the Bears had had scouting reports detailed about all five of those guys who are likely first-round picks. You wonder if they got the guy they really wanted or did the Bears, you know, had they had a different set of uh, information, would they have gone a different way? I don't know, but it's interesting to ponder. 
Well, an interesting footnote, I wrote an extensive story on Mac Jones about a month before the draft as we were kind of profiling all these quarterback prospects. And there were people around the league that thought that Mac Jones was the most NFL ready to try to help a regime that needed to win to save their job. The Bears ultimately decided that Andy Dalton was the guy that was the most NFL ready to help them save Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace's job. And that backfired and it failed. And that they're now down this path that we're continuing to talk about. But Mac Jones also did some things from a processing and, and uh, just a, a vision standpoint that people thought would click with Matt Nagy because of the frustrations he had with Mitch Trubisky, right? And being able to, 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 to do things mentally that, that unlock some things for you. And, and ultimately, obviously, it didn't happen. They, they, they fought, thought Fields was the generational talent and went with him. And here we are left to judge that and, and ask the, the questions of curiosity that you posed. Mac Jones was to Matt Nagy what Alex Smith was to, Can- to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, when you, when you were debating what the Bears would do, I remember having that conversation and, and about, you know, the, the skill set that Mac Jones offered. And you wondered if the Bears where they were at 20 at the at the point where if they would take Mac Jones because you mentioned Dalton. OK, they had Dalton. Mac Jones is more stylistically similar to Dalton, to Nick Foles. You know, Justin Fields was a leap of faith, but it was a, it was because he was a generational talent athletically. Some mocks had him going in the top 10 and he fell to the bears and they aggressively went up to get him, but then they didn't know what to do with him. And so I just wonder had the bears taken Mac Jones and it would have been a more fit schematically or with that staff, what this scene would have looked like and how it would have unfolded. So many moments, right? But now we're yeah. left with Fields to Pettis, one of the greatest duos that I've seen. I haven't seen touchdown pass like that <laughs> probably since Trubisky to Gabriel. All right, let's wrap this up with our closing drive. All right, Dan, let's quickly get through a couple bullet points. Number one, what will the offensive line look like uh, Monday night against the Patriots? Will Alex Leatherwood be involved based on your information or your insight? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that they still need to see a lot more of Alex Leatherwood, who obviously they claimed on waivers, did not have him during training camp or any time earlier than that, has been on the non-football injury illness list for a long time here and really hasn't done a whole lot on the practice field to give them a body of evidence to, to be able to trust going into a game like that. So it'll be a little bit before Alex Leatherwood gets a chance to, to have his say on the Bears offensive line. I'll be curious. You know, they're, they're, they're holding their cards really close to the vest on – Possible changes up front. It'll be interesting to see Monday night kind of what it looks like and in which direction they'll go. I think a lot of people are clamoring for some sort of change for change's sake just to try to shore up some of those pocket issues that the Bears have had for, for six games. Okay, Jason LaConfora reported that the Bears are shopping Robert Quinn, the trade deadline November 1st, 3 o'clock. My opinion is they should have shopped Robert Quinn more aggressively during the draft. At this point, they're not unlikely to get much in return. Not sure they could get a fourth or a fifth-round draft pick. I don't know what they would get. How likely is it that Robert Quinn finishes this season with the Bears? Yeah, I, I would say increasingly likely, part of it being because the production hasn't been there this year to make him a coveted piece. You, you're always talking at this time of the year, as you and I have talked about extensively, is who are the buyers? 
what are their needs and what do they have in their wallet to give you? And sometimes those don't match up with what you've got out in your driveway for the garage sale. And so the bears are just going to have to sit out there at the table <laughs> and see who drives up and jumps out of the car and says, Hey, will you take, you know, six bucks for this uh, blender or, or do you want, do you want at least 10? And then you're going to have to go into the barter system at that point and figure out if you can get something for the future back in return for an asset right now. I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I, I think there'll be a lot of chatter leading up to November 1st at 3 p.m. And then I think we'll get to November 2nd and go, well, that was boring. The Bears Hallis Hall Bazaar. I like that. <laughs> All right. So we have heard Matt Nieberflus be intentionally vague about Valus Jones and whether or not he might or might not be the punt returner Monday night against the Patriots. What do you think and what have you heard? Richard Hightower speaks Friday. He will be pressed on this topic. My uh, suggestion and hunch is that Valus Jones go to the background, right? I, I just think it's time to, to to work on some of those things behind the scenes, regain your own confidence, earn the belief and trust back of the coaching staff, and then come back, you know, three, four games from now, you can get back out there. It doesn't have to be a long stint away from the spotlight, but let's get comfortable first and not put ourselves in a position where we're losing a handful of games because a rookie punt returner cannot catch a ball in the fourth quarter of games that you need to just secure a ball to be able to give your offense a chance to win football games. Khalil Herbert leads the Bears in rushing. I like their one-two combination. We talked to Jarrett Payton on uh, the score the other day when we were in studio together. He likes Khalil Herbert as well, and I think he even gave him a slight nod. It's nice problem to have when you have two running backs you trust. You had a good back and forth with Khalil Herbert Tuesday at the podium. It, will his role expand or will it kind of be the same share in carries? Look, Matt Eberflew said he was willing to ride the hot hand with his backfield. And right, if you're able to bust off 64-yard run, if you're able to bust off a 50-plus like he had earlier in the year, if you've got four runs of 15-plus, it gives you a, a say in the conversation. David Montgomery is still a great back, and they're going to be able to use both of them accordingly. I was most impressed, David, on Tuesday with Khalil Herbert, who's having probably the one season of any Bears player on offense that has surpassed expectations to this point. And he was so intensely self-critical about his pass protection, about his need to get better as a pass catcher out of the backfield, about his inability to score from the one on fourth and goal uh, in that first half on Thursday night, which turned out to be a pivotal sequence in that game. And so what you have here is a guy that's producing and a guy who wants a lot more. And, and I appreciate players that are wired like that because the only way that this thing gets turned around is if you have guys that can be successful and still push their self, push themselves every single day to get the most out of themselves. Khalil Herbert is that guy. And that relates to our last thing that I want to ask you about. You excel at kind of finding the uh, – looking at this big picture, and this season is all about that. We talked earlier about it. could be as many as 49 <laughs> days between victories. It's going to be difficult to evaluate this season if you're just paying attention to the standings, if you're just looking at the scoreboard. What else are we looking for? What else is Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles, George McCaskey, for goodness sakes – what else are they looking for when he's not officiating soccer games? Yeah. <laughs> how will they evaluate the rest of the season beyond the scoreboard? By the way, the last time we were in Foxborough for those crossover practices that I mentioned, there was a fight between Alshon Jeffrey and Malcolm Butler where they were yanking each other's face masks and about 20 guys from each team got involved. And George came sprinting off of uh, 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 the sideline behind the end zone to break it up. He got right in the middle of Alshon Jeffrey and Malcolm Butler. So there's another George McCaskey oh anecdote my gosh, in a awesome. week full of George McCaskey anecdotes for you. Back to your question about evaluating this football team over the last 11 weeks. I need you to help me answer this because look, we, we knew what this is going to be. We knew what the rebuild looked like. We knew how daunting it was going to be and how the lopsided win-loss record was going to feel heavy to a lot of people who didn't want to sit through another one of these. 
figure out who building blocks are, right? You have to figure out who are guys that you truly believe in to get your Sharpie out and, and, and write them in as a starter for 2023 and a starter for 2024, right? And so you need to see these flashes. And then the flashes, as we, as we talked about before, have to become consistent for you to get the Sharpie out. And so now who are those guys, right? And, and so every week, no matter how long this losing streak gets, we have to be identifying guys like Khalil Herbert, guys, you know, younger players like Travis Gibson, guys like Darnell Mooney and Jalen Johnson, who we see as leaders of this team and saying, yes, they are meeting the standard. They are helping to raise the bar. And ultimately, they're going to be a part of the next team that makes a run at a playoff berth. And I agree with that. But I also think that part of that process involves evaluating things the public can't see. The types of things you see, and weigh heavily in meeting rooms, in weight rooms, uh, on the practice field. I think this first year, you're looking for guys who are here for the long haul, invested, and and looking at this professionally. You don't look at guys who are looking at this for just kind of for selfish reasons or for individual purposes. That sounds very college football-y, but look at the staff. Read the room. This is a room full of guys who came to Hallis Hall with that in mind. They are building an entire organization around the hits principle. Who does that unless you are buying into the intangible part of, yes. of, of a football team, of a football player? So I'm looking for those kinds of things. I'm looking for the guy who isn't checking out of the game when it's 45 to 27 <laughs> and there's, there's 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm looking for the guy who's, who's, who's running around with reckless abandon, making every tackle, and who's treating the, the, the punt in the fourth quarter like it's the, the NFC championship game. These are small things but they mean a big deal in, in the context of a losing season. So I'm looking for the intangibles. And back to our initial segment, guys like Jalen Johnson, right, who, who aren't weighed down by the losses but say that they, they, they give them more energy, right, because you, you're so motivated to turn that loss into a success. So let's find those guys, identify them, and hopefully by the time we get to Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then New Year's Day, we'll have a few more answers about this football team. Well, we'll be here. we got a long way to go. We're having a lot of fun. This was a good one. Um, I have only one request before our next pod, and that is you go back to your classic Navy pullover because <laughs> you're blinding me with your orange helmet matching uh, pullover, and I think ILL, oh, my God. I and I, David, I and I keep an eye on the Illini for the rest of this football season because there are uh, Chicago's Big Ten team having a great year. Oh, 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 we're going to have to have an entire segment on Big Ten football at some point because I do want to talk about Brett Bielema and how he has changed that program because uh, it's been a pretty quick turnaround. And I do like everything. And Chase Brown could be a Heisman candidate. But those are thoughts for another day. This one is over. We really appreciate you joining us today on the Take the North podcast. Download, listen, and subscribe. You can get it on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back after the Patriots Monday night football game um, against the Bears on Tuesday morning. It will be. We will do uh, an episode, and then we'll drop it Tuesday during the day. Also, first in Foxborough is the Patriots podcast. I joined Kyrie Thompson and talked about Patriots, Bears this week. You want to download, listen, and subscribe to them. They're our friends and uh, partners out in uh, Boston. So this has been a lot of fun, Dan. Anything else before we go? Yeah, it should be an amazing game. Uh, I think the Bears are one of the most amazing teams I've ever watched on film. Uh, Can't wait to play them on Monday. It'll let us know where we stand. See, that makes me want to take a nap. So I think it's time (laughs) to go. Thanks for joining us on the Take the North podcast. Talk to you next time.